Who is the richest person you know? Who's the richest, wealthiest person that you've ever had a conversation with? Think about it. Every year, Forbes magazine releases their own uh, version of the wealthiest people on the planet, and there's a new number one. Did you know that? For many years, Bill Gates held down the number one spot. Gates is the co-founder of the computer company Microsoft. Maybe you've heard of it. Yeah? (laughs) And he's worth, does anybody know how much he's worth? A couple dollars. He's worth $97 billion, according to Forbes. Now picture this. If Bill cashed out his assets in exchange for $100 bills and stacked the bills in one column, how high do you think that stack of Benjamins would, would reach? Huh? Mount Everest, the tallest mountain in the world, Gates' stack of cash would reach as high as 11 Mount Everest stacked on top of each other. 11. Now, by contrast, most of our stacks would come up to our ankles if we're lucky. (laughs) But Gates, Gates is no longer the king of the hill. He's been passed by a guy who's been in the news quite a bit lately, a guy named Jeff Bezos. Just 25 years ago, Jeff started a small company in his garage selling books online. Now, he's the first person in the history of the world to top $100 billion in assets. That small garage company is now called, you may have heard of it, any guesses? Amazon. According to Forbes, Bezos Bezos is now worth $134 billion. Let me ask you, how much are you worth? Seriously, how much do you believe you are worth? If you aren't sure, then turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, starting with verse 19. There's a man named Jesus who claims to know the answer, the answer to the question, how much am I worth? Before we consider Jesus' claim, let's go to God in prayer. Father, speak. Spirit, help us listen. Jesus, thank you. Amen. In the middle of the longest recorded speech of Jesus, traditionally called the Sermon on the Mount, we hear these words of our Lord. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust consume, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consumes, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, 
what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more worth than they? And can any of you by, war- by worrying add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? <laughs> Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is indeed the Gentiles who strive for all these things, and indeed your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. This is the word of our Lord Jesus. So what are you worth? Not according to Forbes, but according to Jesus. What are you worth? I suspect it's far more than you imagined. We'll develop this thought later, but first we are going to turn our, our eyes to the, the first set of twos. There are four sets of twos in this block of Jesus' teaching. You may have noticed it by the headings. Two treasures, two eyes, two masters, and two anxieties. First up, two treasures. We'll deal with this one much more thoroughly as it sets the the foundation for the rest. So two treasures. So when Jesus starts talking about wealth, we see right off the bat that his view of things is drastically different from the quote-unquote normal view of things. Here's the normal view of wealth, at least what's become normal in our society it's this. Things bring happiness. Things bring, ha- things bring happiness. That's what most people in our society believe without a second thought. In fact, without a first thought, usually, we haven't even given it any thought. It's just the air we breathe, this idea. Things bring happiness. Or we could put it like this. Blank, insert a dollar amount or a material possession, will make me feel secure, powerful, successful, and happy. What is it that you believe will truly make you feel secure? There's your treasure. Would you feel secure if you got out of debt or if your retirement savings reached a million dollars? Would you feel powerful if you bought a new truck that impressed others? Would you feel successful if you could afford your dream home or any home? Would you be happy if you could travel around the world and have all sorts of fun experiences? Well, there might be your treasure. 
if we're honest, most people in our, in our society, including many church people, believe that X, Y, or Z will make us feel secure, powerful, successful, and happy. And X, Y, and Z are things like savings accounts and iPhones or experiences that can only be bought with a price. Things bring happiness. That's the normal view. Jesus calls this a lie. He says we've been duped. Things don't bring happiness, Jesus claims, at least not in the long run. John D. Rockefeller, history's richest man by certain standards, he's famous for having been asked, how much is enough? To which he replied, just a little bit more. (laughs) Wealth, it's been said, is like seawater. The more we drink, the thirstier we become. So here's what Jesus knows about wealth. The normal view of wealth is destructive from all angles. It is self-destructive. It prevents us from loving our neighbor, and it prevents us from trusting God and furthering God's purposes in the world. So it's no wonder that Jesus warns us against falling into its trap. His strong words come from a strong love for us. We really need to get this. Jesus longs for us to live rightly with God and others and ourselves. That is what it means to seek God's righteousness. And so he begins his teaching on wealth. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. There's a word here that Jesus repeats, but it gets lost in translation. It's the word treasure. Jesus literally says, do not treasure for yourselves. There's the the Greek word. Do not treasure for yourselves treasures on earth, but treasure for yourselves treasures in heaven. Jesus is trying to be as clear and emphatic as possible. Earthly things, earthly treasures aren't worth treasuring, but heavenly things the things of God are. Again, Jesus' belief could not be further from the normal view of things in Western society. So how can we be confident that Jesus is right and our society is not? We can be confident in Jesus' view because he knows better than anyone else the true nature of human beings. In particular, Jesus knows how our hearts work in relation to stuff. You've heard of laws, you've heard of the laws of nature, like gravity, right? Well, Jesus knows about spiritual laws, and here's a most basic one. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Say that with me. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Basic spiritual principle. The order is important. Your heart follows your treasure, not the other way around. You want to know where your heart is, spiritually speaking? It will be located wherever your treasure lies. This is a basic spiritual law that Jesus names. So let me ask you where is your heart? Where is your heart? To find out, we need to go on a little treasure hunt. 
Let's go find our hearts by looking for our treasures. First, a definition so that we're all on the same page. What is a treasure exactly? Here's how Dallas Willard defines it, and he, he practiced what he preached. <laughs> treasures are things we try to keep because of a value we place upon them. Everyone has treasures. This is an essential part of what it is to be human. We reveal what our treasures are by what we try to protect, secure, and keep. So what do you treasure? What do you try to protect at all costs? What are you terrified of losing? Where do you make your largest investments, the investments of time, energy, money? What are you clinging to for dear life? Friends, Jesus wants us to know the basic spiritual law at work in our hearts. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you're still having a hard time figuring out what your treasure is, here's one example. Many of us in America, we treasure our houses. We don't just enjoy them for their usefulness and beauty, giving thanks to God for them. That would be proper. But we don't leave it there. We go further. We treasure them in our hearts. We obsess about them. The unending supply of home improvement shows in recent years have only stirred up this passion for our homes to an unhealthy degree. I'm going to tick some people off here. Sorry about that. We want more home than what we have, which is greed. We want what others have, which is envy. Preacher Tim Keller once said, there are two kinds of people in America. There are those with house envy and there are liars. <laughs> Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, it doesn't have to be material things that we treasure. For instance, we could treasure our reputation. That's what Jesus spoke about right before this section in the sermon. That's what we talked about the last two weeks. In fact, there's often a connection between treasuring our reputations and treasuring our stuff. The stuff helps us secure our reputation, or so we think. What are other non-material things we might treasure? We could treasure an idea or a view of the world that holds a sacred place in our hearts. We could treasure tradition. We could treasure pleasurable experiences. We could treasure an activity or a hobby. Or we could treasure our relationship to another person. Or, or we could treasure God. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. According to Jesus, there are three problems with treasuring anything, anything other than God. Here are the three problems. Moths, rust, and thieves. And they all lead to greater anxiety and worry in our lives. Moths represent the corrosion of nature. Nature eating away our material possessions. It doesn't have to be a moth. It could be a tornado or a fire or a flood. The fact is, if we treasure anything material, 
then our treasures are susceptible to destruction by forces of nature out of our control. The end result is anxiety over what we might lose. Then there's rust. Rust represents the corrosion of time. Over time, material possessions like my 15-year-old car lose value. Look at that beauty right there, the 2004 Pontiac vibe. But over time, they're not so beautiful, and eventually they stop working. I'm crossing my fingers for another five years. I'm trying to stay in the good graces of Steve Kantz. Where are you, Steve? I told you I was going to give you a shout-out. My mechanic. The fact is, if we treasure anything material, then it's at risk of destruction by just the sheer passing of time. When our treasure has a shelf life, it'll make us more and more anxious as time moves on. Well, not financial investments, you might say. Those grow over time. And then I can pass on my wealth to my children. True. And don't get me wrong, you should save. (laughs) There's a biblical proverb about ants storing up food for the winter, and that is commended to us. We, too, should be wise stewards of our money. And Paul, Paul urges us to provide for one's own family. But there's still a danger here. The danger lies in the fact that greed and envy and the love of money are just so normal in our culture. For example, how much is ever enough? And at what cost to my neighbor who is starving right now? Martin Luther and and St. Augustine, they had strong words to say against this temptation to suggest that, well, I'm just providing for my children. Luther says this, he says, See to it that greed does not take you in with a sweet suggestion and lovely deception like this, that you intend to advance yourself or your children into a higher social position. The more you get, the more you will want. And you will always be aiming for something higher and better. No one is satisfied with his position in life. So here again we come to the place of worry from which Jesus wishes to free us. This leads us to the third problem. The problem of thieves. For those who aren't familiar with Dora the Explorer, that right there is who? Is Rhett in the building? He's back there. Oh, come on. That's Swiper the Fox. You better watch out for Swiper. In fact, as the reader, you have the power to stop him. All you have to do is say, Swiper, no swiping. Seriously, say it with me. Swiper, no swiping. Just trying to keep things relevant for our toddlers in the house, okay? This is our lives. (laughs) Jesus brings up this third problem of thieves as a way of representing the corruption of humanity. That is to say, humans have an unfailing tendency of messing things up, save for the grace of God. No one knows what the world economy will be like in 25 years. Economists assume it'll go up and it'll go down. But over time, it'll go a lot more up than down, just like in the past. And even if they're right, and I hope they are, there's still the issue of eternity and our hearts. If the primary goal in life is to secure my family's livelihood through financial savvy, 
it may just be at the risk of losing what matters most. Or in Jesus' own words, whoever tries to make his life secure will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. Okay, Jesus, enough already. (laughs) Then what am I supposed to do? Am I just supposed to sell everything I have and give to the poor? Maybe. (laughs) Jesus actually asked a man to do that once. The man, of course, walked away from the offer, depressed, for he had many possessions. But for most of us, I suspect the response Jesus is looking for is found in the positive alternative he offers in our passage. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. That's, that's the negative. But there's a positive. Here's what you should do. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Or to put it literally, treasure for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, I want us to really see Jesus' grace in this invitation. Jesus knows that we long for security and pleasure And he knows we need to treasure something. These are not bad desires, according to Jesus. They're not. They're a part of human nature, and in fact, they are good desires. Now, he does not try to squash such desires for security and pleasure, but he wants to, get this, he wants to redirect them. This is one striking way that Jesus is different from other religious figures like the Buddha, for example. In Buddhism, I don't know if you knew this, but in Buddhism, the goal is to remove all desire and longing. Desire is bad. Stuff is bad. That's Buddhism and its many contemporary offshoots. But it's not Christianity. According to Jesus Christ, the problem lies not in in, uh, desire itself or in owning possessions, The problem lies in misdirected desire. Misdirected desire. Our aim is off. (laughs) This is the case for every sin, almost. We are aiming in the wrong direction as we seek to fulfill our deepest desires. And it's leaving us unsatisfied and worried about everything. Jesus knows all about this. So he offers us an alternative. Do you want security and pleasure for yourself and for your children? Do you want something to treasure, to really value, to hold sacred? Then look no further. This alone will satisfy your heart's desire. This alone will secure your future. This alone will give you what your heart is searching for. God. God alone. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God of grace. Treasure God, my friends. Let us find our sweetest delight and pleasure in God, and God will ensure our security and happiness even throughout eternity. What kind of investment broker could promise you that? (laughs) Treasure God and the things of God, and you will find yourself free from the captivity of worry. That's Jesus' promise. Lay out for yourselves treasures in heaven, Jesus says. In other words, invest in your relationship with God and invest in the things God is doing in the world. 
and you will not be disappointed. Your annual return on investment will not leave you worried or anxious or self-assured and puffed up. Rather, it'll leave you energized and grateful for the work of God in the world, and it'll leave you humbled and amazed that you personally were able to participate in the very work of God in the world. This is the life Jesus is trying to give us. It's a life without worry. Because here's the thing, moths and rust and thieves can't touch this kind of treasure. Nothing can destroy the treasures of God. Or as Paul put it, nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So there are two treasures. This is the foundational building blocks for Jesus' teaching on wealth. The rest of the twos here, they build on this foundation. And we'll, we only have time to touch on each of them briefly, okay? So let's take a deep breath. I know how we love talking about money. Take a drink of water if you've got it. Next up, the two eyes. Look at those. <laughs> That's for you, Andy. Do you like cats? Oh, so not for you, Andy. <laughs> Should have been rabbits or something. Jesus' original hearers, he understood this illustration of the two eyes much more easily than we do. So, so in Jesus' day, if you had an unhealthy eye, it referred to a stingy, envious person, okay? It's kind of like we might say someone's a bad egg. Uh, uh, someone who's learning English, they're not going to know what that means. <laughs> it's hard for us to know what Jesus means when he's talking about the eye. But that's because there was a, a saying during that time that an unhealthy eye referred to a stingy person, and a healthy eye was a generous person. Now, again, we don't have the same connotation with eyes. So if Jesus were rephrasing his illustration to connect with us today, he might use the metaphor of hands instead. He might say something like this. If you're tight-fisted, your soul begins to shrivel. If you have an open hand, your soul will be vibrant. So Jesus is drilling his point deeper and deeper, his point that things do not bring happiness, but God does. One way the Father brings us happiness is by inviting us into his workshop. We get to work with God if we want to, if we are willing we have the opportunity to invest in our relationship with God and in what God's doing in the world. Our hearts will then follow our wallets. Then the pleasure that awaits us, the sense of purpose that awaits us, such investments go much further than investing in the things of the world. That's Jesus' claim. Do you believe it? Now, as if two lessons weren't enough, Jesus continues to drill down deeper with another set of twos, this time two masters. No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Jesus returns to the issue of the heart here. The inward issue, that's what really matters for Jesus. You see, that's why Jesus warns us against judging others, 
right after this text, chapter 7, it's do not judge, we rarely know what's in someone else's heart, not by looking at mere appearances. We can't say, well, this person has this, and so they must be greedy. We don't know what's in someone's heart. And it's about our heart. And our heart follows our treasure. So what does our heart love the most? What has our loyalty? Or who has our loyalty? What is the goal of our life? What are we aiming for? If it's the goal of material prosperity or financial success, we may get what we're seeking, but that's all we'll get. Or as Thomas Merton put it, people may spend their whole lives climbing the ladder of success only to find once they reach the top that the ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. So if the goal is God and the things of God, then watch out. The adventure that awaits us is greater than we could imagine. So we close here with the two anxieties. We've done uh, the, other, the other twos. Here's the two anxieties, and we'll skip over this. Jesus moves to the anxiety question because it's tied to the money question. The more things we have, the more we're worried about losing them. The more we want to protect ourselves against this possible loss. This is the recipe for an anxious life. Far too many Christians are eating it up. But Jesus says, do not worry about your life, specifically about money, possessions, and securing your future. Now these words are meant to bring us comfort, not meant to make us feel guilty. The intent of what Jesus is saying is this, you don't have to worry about your life. Why? Because your Father in heaven will take care of you. This is a comforting command. We don't have time to unpack the fullness of these 10 verses. So suffice it to to draw out two promises that are found within them. Just two promises for now. The first promise speaks to our worth. How much are you worth? Remember I asked you that earlier? Did you come up with a figure? How much are you worth? Here's Jesus' answer. You're worth dying for. Look at the birds. Free and unfettered not tied down to a job description, careless in the care of God, you, you are worth far more than the birds. You are worth dying for. This is the promise. When you are found in God through faith in Jesus Christ, it means your worth is found in God. and That's a good place to keep it. Not in your bank account, not in your possessions, not even in who you know. Your worth is found in God alone. And God considers you his precious child, worthy enough to die for. So you never, ever need to be concerned about how much you're worth ever again. The second promise shows up in the next metaphor. This time he uses the image of lilies in the field. It's a verse near and dear to Stephanie and me, provided the inspiration behind our daughter's name. Oh, so beautiful. (laughs) That's right. Consider the lilies of the field, 
If God so closes, clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? <laughs> Friends, God will meet your physical needs. This is Jesus making that promise. Your Heavenly Father knows what you need in body and for soul. And He is your Heavenly Father. He is capable and He cares for you. He may not meet your every want, but He'll meet your every need for body and for soul. He will give you today your daily bread as He taught us to pray. So here's what to do. For those who like next action steps and like doing something, Jesus closes his teaching on wealth with a next action step. He says this, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek to live rightly with God, with others, and within yourself. Make God's kingdom, God's purposes, your first priority. And then there's a bonus promise. And all these things will be added to you as well. Amen? So who's the richest person you know? If you make it your aim to treasure God and the things of God, it may just be you after all. Let us pray.